My name is Bethany Jacks. I uh, was saved when I was like 14 years old. I had just came to True Grace and I had gotten saved when I was a little kid um, and I had gotten baptized, but I didn't really know kind of what, what I was doing. And the first time that I came to True Grace Youth, um, Josh Taylor was the pastor, so I, he delivered a message. I was incredibly moved and I just felt the spirit like I'd never felt it ever before. And I went up to him and he probably thought I was crazy because I was crying. And he was like, what, like, are you okay? And I was like, I just, I just have this feeling that this is, I'm supposed to do this and this is supposed to be how I'm living my life for God. And he was like, okay, he went through the motions and prayed with me. Um, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. It was awesome. Um, in the Bible it says to repent and be baptized and ever since I got saved there's been ups and downs and I've gone away from God and gone back and I'm just fulfilling what he said to be baptized and pro proclaiming to the world to him and to myself that I'm a daughter of the High King and that I'm gonna live my life for him. My name is Alex Jarvis and uh, I've grown up in the church, just what my parents have done. Uh, and the reason I'm getting baptized today is because I've just wanted to since I was in middle school. I felt it and I think God just prevented me from doing it for all this time until I was ready. And so now that I can actually do it. I'm my name is Calix and I was I think I come and came into my knowing of Christ and my awareness of Jesus when I was 17. And uh, it's just in a place of a lot of anger and confusion and uh, somehow lots of little things just pointed me this direction. And, um, I decided to get baptized about a year ago and I've been looking for a church ever since. And, found my way here and <laughs> I'm really excited to do this because I feel it's long overdue. My name is Becca and I came to know Jesus really young. My family's gone to church my whole life. So I can't really pinpoint first date when I first came to know Jesus, but um, I got baptized for the first time when I was six, and um, I decided that I want to get baptized again today because when I first got baptized, it was kind of an acceptance that knowing, like accepting that God was real and Jesus was real and. I believed in it and um, I think the part that I missed that uh, it's the reason I chose to get baptized again is that um, it's not just about believing but it's also about devoting yourself to God and following Him and like really completely trusting in everything and every aspect.
miles on those people. Isn't that the best thing ever? I think, I think baptism is one of my favorite things to do in all of, of uh, Christian stuff that you do. Uh, it is the best thing. So welcome, welcome. It's so good to have you all here today. I have the honor of continuing our series in this um, the Luke, the Gospel of Light. We've been doing this for a few weeks now, uh, I think a little over a month, over a month for sure, yeah. So I'm excited. We're coming to the end of summer. How many are sad? The last service had, yeah, <laughs> the last service there was a groan that came in the service. They actually groaned out loud. Uh, anybody had a chance to go on a road trip this summer? About a couple weeks ago, my family and I did. We took a road trip to do some family stuff up in Linden, and the trip's about three hours, and I'm going to ask you, what do you think, I have three kids, they're all in the back of the van, uh, three kids, what do you think they were saying from the back of the van? Exactly. You guys got kids too. Exactly. So true. So true. It is, if you haven't gone on a road trip yet, you're, you're not, uh, it's not too late. You still got time to do it. You can get one in before the summer's out. But I wanted to talk a, a few things this morning about expectations. And uh, how many of us know that it's important to have appropriate expectations when you're planning even a planning a trip, that trip that I talked about earlier, that 3,000 miles um, or 7,500 miles that we went uh, a few years ago on one day was crazy. It was a crazy long trip, but we heard that thing from behind. Uh, a few other popular statements were things like, I'm hungry. Uh, uh, another one was, I've got to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Those are very popular ones. And uh, the reason the kids say that is because they don't have a little device. We've, we've all got a device in our pocket that tells us, you know, where, where to turn next, what direction to go, where the next coffee stop is, where can we fill up with gas, what the weather's going to be like, all those things. We know what to expect on our trip, so it's a little easier, and that's why we get all those questions from back in the back seats. I know what to expect. It helps make wise choices when we're planning things like trips, and it makes it a successful journey. And the reason it makes it successful is because our expectations match reality. If they don't match reality, then what? It's a problem, isn't it? Like, for instance, if we think a trip's going to take 20 minutes and instead it takes four hours, that's a problem, right? If you are packing for a trip and you take a set of clothes expecting it to be 80 degrees and it turns out to be 40, it's a problem, right? It's a problem. Problems come up when there's a gap between our expectations and the reality. And the wider that gap is, the bigger the problem, the more miserable we are. Now, obviously, this doesn't just apply to road trips. It also applies to our life. It's important that we have the right expectations about life, about growing up, about marriage and parenting and singleness and work. It's important to have right expectations about our spiritual journey and what that looks like to follow Jesus. And a big part of maturing in our faith is learning how to set our expectations based on what we find in Scripture 
And then learning how to adjust our expectations when they don't match. In fact, it's impossible to live a wise life if we don't know how to adjust our expectations when it comes to living as children of God in the midst of this broken world. So this morning, I want us to go on a little journey together, and we're going to get some wisdom around the idea of expectations. We're going to look at Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35, and I want to highlight four areas where we might need to adjust our expectations to line up with the reality we find in Scripture. Now, hopefully we're going to talk and and walk out of here uh, today a little better informed about our expectations, and if it gets a little long, the journey gets a little long, if someone will yell out from the back, are we there yet, uh, it might help us feel uh, a little more comfortable. But I don't have any snacks, and you guys are all old enough to take care of your own bathroom break, so they're out there, all right? All right, so let's start off with the first chunk of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, it says this, John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who has come, or should we expect, there's that word, someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask to you to ask, Are you the one who, who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sickness and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So we replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Let's take a moment and let's pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father... Thank you. What an opportunity, what a day to be in your presence, in your house, to learn about you, to worship with others. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this service, and I pray you would help us to adjust our expectations. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Have you ever felt let down by Jesus? Maybe like Jesus didn't live up to all the hype? Maybe you got saved and you expected life to go on cruise control, but instead it feels like a roller coaster ride in the dark. Maybe you don't understand why Jesus keeps losing the culture wars around us. Maybe Jesus hasn't bailed you out of your situation yet. Maybe you're in the middle of suffering of some kind and you're starting to question everything. Maybe you can't feel God anymore. Maybe you never did. And you're starting to wonder about this Christianity thing. Is it really what you thought it was? If you've ever stumbled in your journey of life because Jesus didn't mix, meet your expectations, most of us know what that feels like. And John the Baptist here in this scripture knows what that feels like. Here's John the Baptist. The very one who prepared the way for Jesus, who had, who had in fact baptized Jesus and been the first to declare, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had a great experience with Jesus and great expectations for Jesus. But now he finds himself sitting in a Jewish jail, 
seemingly abandoned. And Jesus had not overturned the corrupt King Herod. He had not driven out the Gentile Roman oppressors. He had not delivered John from his imprisonment. And now he's hearing reports of what Jesus is doing on the outside. And you probably can imagine it wouldn't be easy for John to feel a little unsettled, would it? Because Jesus had been doing a lot. He'd been going throughout the region performing miracles, casting out demons, healing people, forgiving sins, teaching these radical new ideas about who is blessed and love for enemies. He's healing diseases and fulfilling prophecies. Large crowds are gathering all over Judea and Jerusalem and as far away as Sire and Sidon. He healed the Roman centurion, which is interesting because it foreshadows Jesus including Gentiles into this ministry. And what I think is the biggest miracle of all is in the village of Nan, he just raised the widow's son back to life from the dead. Crazy. So Jesus is doing a lot, but from John's perspective, there's so much that he's not doing, is it? And so he sends messengers to ask John, are you really the one, or ask Jesus, are you really the one who we've been waiting for? Because you're not what I expected, Jesus. So I just want to make sure, are you really the Messiah? It's so, so easy in the middle of suffering and struggle when our expectations are wrong to get confused, isn't it? To get disoriented and doubt and question and lose faith in who Jesus is and what he said he would do. Have you been there? John expected a Messiah who would deliver the nation of Israel on the timeline of history. But the reality is that Jesus was the Messiah who would deliver an entire human race on the scale of eternity. John expected a Messiah who would tear down the corrupt earthly kingdoms. But the reality was that Jesus was the Messiah who came to destroy powers and principalities Not primarily in a physical world, but in a spiritual world. The problem wasn't that John's expectations for Jesus were too big and Jesus couldn't live up to him. The problem was that John's expectations were far too small. The deliverance Jesus came to enact in an eternal kingdom, he came to establish, it it blew John's earthly paradigm out of the water. So if you're taking notes, point number one this morning is Jesus often will not work in a way you expect him to, but he never fails to accomplish his good purpose in your life. Especially if you're in the middle of suffering. You may need to adjust your expectations of how God works in your life so that you don't stumble. Don't expect that suffering won't be part of your story, because it will. But that doesn't mean God's abandoned you. In fact, he's gone to great efforts to prepare a place for you and for me that we can't even begin to imagine. And because just like all of us, and just like John, from an earthly paradigm, he he came to save us from that. We're thinking of this life in an earthly paradigm. 
But God not, God's not working on that paradigm. He's working on an eternal one. And that is a very different thing than all the things in this world. Now, I can't tell you how God's going to work specifically in your situation. But I can tell you a few things that you can expect of how God does work. The first thing is he works in mysterious ways. Scripture is one long story of how differently God does things than we would do them. He's always doing things we don't expect. Here's some examples from from the Old Testament. He chooses the younger brother instead of the older brother. Telling people to march around a city instead of attack it. Choosing to be born in a poor, obscure family and not in some mansion in the halls of power. Triumphing through death. You see, his ways, what scripture calls, his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. Expect that he doesn't work the way that we would do things. You can expect that. That's number one. Number two... He works in complete ways. Here's some scripture for you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He doesn't forget you. He doesn't lose interest in you. He doesn't give up on you. He finishes what he starts. And when you think he's only going to go one mile with you, he goes 10. Not only is he the alpha and the omega, you can expect him to be to finish the spiritual work in your life that he's begun in you. That's number two. Number three, he works in good ways. More scripture for you. You ready? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. More scripture. You ready? And we know all things God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. Expect that God's ways are good. And you're going to have to trust him on this because you're probably not going to understand what's going on. You might be in the middle of a process right now, but he sees the end. You're going to have to trust that God is good and kind and loves you. Did you notice how Jesus responded to John's messengers? He didn't say much, did he? He didn't reassure them or try to persuade them to believe he was the Messiah. He simply showed them the message that he was fulfilling everything that Scripture had told them that the Messiah would do. And he let John draw the right conclusion. You see, Jesus doesn't always answer our why questions directly, does he? He doesn't give us a detailed copy of his plans. What he does do is he simply reminds us of who he is, and he lets us draw the right conclusion. If Jesus is God who came to earth and suffered and died for us so that we can be with God in the place that he has prepared for us, a place beyond our imagination, if that's who God is, then we can trust him. No matter what I'm going through, I know he's good. I know he loves me, and I know no matter what, in the end, It's going to be okay. Don't forget everything God has done just because you're so focused on what he hasn't done. I love this quote. A famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon, 
He said this when it comes to how God works in your life. Remember this. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. God's too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Expect you won't be able to understand or anticipate your course of life, but expect that you can trust him wholeheartedly to get you home. All right, let's pick up the scripture again in verse 24. Everybody okay? Need a bathroom break? Anybody? All right, all right, let's go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Verse 24, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom about it is written. And here he quotes from the Old Testament. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way for you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now, if you're anything like me and you read this passage and your reaction was like, Huh? What? I'm greater than John the Baptist? What? We don't expect that, right? I don't expect that. We expect the truly great ones, the Old Testament ones, the ones like Abraham and Moses and David, right? But John was a prophet, and for goodness sake, more than that, he was the end, the pinnacle of the entire old order of things, the last and the greatest human to point the way to the coming promise of the kingdom that Jesus came to usher in. But here's the unexpected part. The one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me the worst Christian in this room right now is greater than John the Baptist? If that's your reaction, it probably means that we don't understand the implications of what Jesus the Messiah did. Our expectations need to be adjusted because before Jesus, the most anyone could ever hope for was a distant relationship with God that was based on our level of holiness. That's why there was this sacrificial system throughout the Old Testament. It was a way of cleansing out or making unholy people holy. That's why the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement after extravagant preparations. That's why there were prophets. The average person could never get close to God. It would be certain death if they did. An encounter with God before Jesus was anything but peaceful. It was terrifying. It made Moses' skin glow. It left Jacob's hip broken. It left Isaiah crying, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. But because Jesus, the Messiah, destroyed sin when he died, his death reconciles us. It made us right with God. And therefore, 
We are now essentially live. We get to live in the holy of holies. The worst Christian in this room right now, don't elbow your neighbor, right? Has access to the presence of the living God. What we sometimes don't understand, and we need to, is that your relationship with God is radically reoriented with Jesus. You are now a child of God. You're a child of God. What was John? John was a servant of God and the best servant who ever lived. But you, I, and we all together are children of God, and that is a radically different status. That's why we're greater than John. I heard this example from another preacher once, and it stuck with me. Who is the only person that gets to wake the king up in the middle of the night and ask for a glass of water? Is it the servant? No. We don't dare go into the king's chambers in the middle of the night. Is it the subjects? No. Only children. The child of the king gets to come in. And it's that kind of access that you and I have to God, even in the middle of the night. When you need him, you can go to him just like my daughter comes to me when she's had a bad dream in the middle of the night. The very one who called this world into existence put the breath of life into the lungs of every living creature. You get to live with him. That's a huge privilege. Don't forget it. Don't take it for granted. Don't waste your life living and missing out on this point. You'll miss out on so much. Because Jesus is the Messiah who John was hoping for, because of that, You are a beloved child, and you get to approach him with anything at any time. You get to talk to him about all your struggles and hopes and fears and pain and questions and doubts. You get to ask him for help. I get to do this all the time. God, help me with my kids. I have no idea what to do. God, help me with this decision I have to make. Help me understand this issue. You get to enjoy the presence of God. I can't tell you how many times the older I get, the more I just walk out into nature and and just in awe of the beauty that God has created. And I get to enjoy it with him, the one who created it. He loves and he delights in us and he cares for us and he provides for us. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss that kind of relationship. It's certainly unexpected. Because I might just be the worst Christian in this room. I don't deserve the kind of relationship that I have with God. But what? But grace. Grace. Grace is unexpected. I don't deserve that kind of relationship with God, but here I am. Maybe we need to adjust our expectations. And this is point number two this morning. Grace. Grace means that God loves me even if I'm the least. Jesus forgives. He makes us holy so that we can live in the presence of the Father. You have a radically different orientation to God than you expect. You're his child. And not only that, that means you'll begin to hear and bear his likeness. 
It means you'll have all the benefits that come with being the son or daughter of the king. It's amazing. It's unexpected. It's grace. Let's keep going in verse 29. Verse 29 says this, All the people, even tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Now, what's unexpected is probably more unexpected to the original hearers of this verse. The people that were there, they would have expected something very different. The original devout Jewish reader would have thought the fact that the tax collectors got it right, but the religious leaders got it wrong would have been unexpected. They would have said, that's not how it's supposed to work. Why are they the ones to get it? Because they're the ones who responded to John and Jesus' message, which essentially was the same. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The ones who got it were essentially the good ones, the good ones that everybody expected they were. They were the ones who understood that they needed to repent. The Pharisees didn't think they needed to do that. So point number three this morning is the greatest danger in your spiritual journey isn't sin. It's thinking that you don't have any sin to repent of. That's called pride. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It's hard to detect sometimes, isn't it? If we want to live as sons and daughters in the kingdom of God, the path to get there is one of repentance. It's accepting that no one is good enough to make it except by the grace of Jesus. And that, in turn, means that we can't write anyone off, including ourselves. Think of today's version of a sinner or tax collector. Who is that for you? Who are the outsiders in your book? Is it someone who looks a certain way or has a certain political alignment or someone who's done done things you never would? Listen, those are the ones who, in Jesus' day, got it. And we might need to adjust our expectations of who's in and who's out. The common denominator isn't anything other than how we respond to the message of repent and believe. What does it mean to repent and believe? Here is a paraphrase from, that I like from another pastor, John Mark Comer. It says this, Uh, Rethink everything you think about how and who God is and who you are and what the good life is that you crave and put your trust and confidence in Jesus to heal you and save you and free you and lead you into the life that you ache for. People get that message all the time that we would never expect. Never write anyone off. Never start to believe that actually you've got it all dialed in. But they don't. Stay humble. Stay repentant on your journey. And you'll get yourself there. Let's uh, finally this morning, verse 31, it says this. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? Are they, what are they like? Are they... They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. 
We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children." The children in this parable represent those who don't accept Jesus and John's message, who don't believe that they're in need of repentance and grace. And the point is that those whose hearts are hardened toward the message, nothing will satisfy them because ultimately they're not interested in following his step. They want to dance to their own tune. And that's not how it works, is it? So they reject him. But there's also this secondary meaning I think we can take from Jesus' parable. If you've been around church long enough, you know it's impossible to please everyone. Half want it this way and half want it that way. Some want quiet music and some want loud. Some want this kind of preaching, some want that. You know what? Apparently God uses all kinds and all styles. He uses John the Baptist style. He uses Jesus style, but both are valid and both are useful. We might need to adjust our expectations about what's right in our way of doing things. Point number four this morning, expect that there can still be unity amongst our diversity. Don't get hung up on style. And here's the key, focused on the fruit. Is the content accurate and biblical? Is it producing disciples who demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Then let's lighten up about the differences. Let's not make peripheral issues core ones, and likewise, don't make core issues peripheral. Another way of saying that is wisdom is proved right by all her children. Or you could say it this way, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, right? (laughs) Got to eat it. When we align our expectations with God, when we do things his way instead of making them our own way, the results speak for themselves. Now more than ever, we need to be able to navigate life accordingly. And that means we need to set our expectations according to scripture, and we need to be able to adjust ourselves accordingly. As we close this morning, is there anything you need to adjust Is there an adjustment in your life that you need to make? Have you expected that God only works through a certain style or a certain messenger? And that life is keeping you from that? That expectation is leading to a false unity? It's keeping you from the unity that God wants for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we need to adjust our focus? Or number two, have you expected that certain kinds of people won't or can't respond to the message and repent and receive grace? Or maybe you expect that of yourself, that you can't or you won't respond to God's message of grace to you, that he does actually love you no matter. Is that your expectation? Or have you expected that because you screwed something up sometime, you might be the least and you don't have access to God? 
Have you forgotten that you can walk into the room at any time and wake the king up and say, I need help? I've made a big mistake. Or maybe you just need to go to him and just rest in his arms. Have you expected that God will work in a certain way only to stumble when he doesn't? Is that an expectation that you have? As we close this morning, would you stand together with me? Maybe you're here today and you're suffering. You're disillusioned and disoriented and confused, maybe numb. I want you to take heart. Take heart. Take heart today. Even John the Baptist found himself doubting, needing reassurance. Remember, God works in mysterious ways, but God's work is always complete. It's always whole. It's always right. God is too good to be unkind to you. He's too wise to be mistaken. You can trust his heart even if you can't make sense of his plan. Don't stumble. If you feel like you're down in the dirt, look up. Talk to him. Ask him. You have the access you need to the King of Kings. He's a father that loves you and cares for you and delights in his children. I'm going to pray a closing prayer this morning. And in my prayer, I'm going to leave a blank space for you to ask the Lord. God, help me adjust my expectations this morning. Help me to change. Help me to make a difference in mine. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for including this in your scripture. What a powerful reminder that God, when our expectations don't match with the reality that you've recorded in scripture, there's a problem, and mostly it's us. We need to adjust our expectations. So, Lord, I pray you would help us. Help us to do that. Help us give us the strength and courage and the willingness to say, God, not my way, but yours be done. I trust that you're good. I trust that you're whole. I know that you have a plan set out for me. If I knew everything you knew, I would want the same for myself. I don't know everything, but I trust you. I trust you. Lord, would you do that? Now, you pray. You ask the Lord. Now, Lord... I pray and I expect, God, that you're going to do great things in these people who are in this room today. I expect, God, the power of God would go with them as they go out into this world. They're going to go into a world that is disillusioned. They have all the expectations that this world offers up. In some cases, this world offers expectations of glory and fame and power and money and wealth and all the things that go with it. But God, that's not what you have for us. You have an expectation of eternity and a time scale of eternity. Lord, I pray for everyone. I can expect that you'll show up in their life, where they're at, in their job, in their time, in their day.
I pray that your power would show up and stop them in their tracks. Help them to make the right decisions wherever they go, whatever they're doing. Help them to be an encouraging word to someone who's lost their way. Their expectations are wildly different than God, what your kingdom is. I pray in Jesus' name that through these people, I expect you to work in the lives of their friends, of their family, of, in their jobs, in their businesses, wherever they find themselves. God, I expect you to work because you said you're good. You said you're for us and with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would go with them in the power and in the name of the Most High God. And that, God, you would bring us someday to a day when there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more hurt. God, I pray that over my friends today. And may God, you be glorified in this world, in this life, in this day, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you, and I expect to see God do great things in your life. God bless. Have a great day.